Welcome to the Amazing Applications Podcast for Microsoft business applications creators who want to build amazing applications that everyone will love. Hi, I'm your host, Neil Benson. Our goal on this show is to help you slash your project budgets, reduce your delivery timelines, mitigate technical risks, and create amazing, agile Microsoft Dynamics 365 and Power Platform applications. Welcome back to the Amazing Applications Podcast, or you know, just welcome if this is your first time. I'm glad you're here. You'll find show notes for this episode at customary.com slash 033, where you'll find links to my guest in this episode, as well as resources, so you can dive deeper into the topics we cover. In this episode, I catch up with Paul Heisterkamp. Paul is a Dynamics 365 finance and operations solution architect and developer at GWS in Germany. He's received his first Microsoft MVP award last year, and was recently awarded his second Fast Track recognized Solution Architect Award. It seems like after 12 years of working with Dynamics ERP, he's finally become an overnight success. Congratulations, Paul. Paul shares with us his story of a multi country Dynamics 365 finance and operations project for an international automotive parts supplier. They've got 1,200 users in the first wave of their deployment and 500 in the second, to replace, in the second wave, to replace a legacy in-house ERP application with Dynamics 365 F and O. We discuss phasing long-term international enterprise projects, how they've adopted an agile approach to ERP, dealing with the challenges of remote working, how they bet on the first version of Dynamics 365 Finance and Operations running in the cloud a couple of years ago, as well as upgrading every six months. We also cover application lifecycle management with lifecycle services in Azure DevOps and working with the Microsoft FastTrack team successfully. It's great to hear another Dynamics 365 ERP professional share their story. If you'd like to share yours, we'd love to have you on the show. Visit customary.com slash guest to find out more about joining me on the Amazing Applications Podcast. I can't accept everyone onto the show, but if you don't try, you'll never know. Just before we catch up with Paul, I'd like to give a quick shout out to some of my friends at Redspire, a Microsoft partner in Glasgow in Scotland. Congratulations to Lloyd Gross, Brett Davies, Craig McGough, Kevin Ansell, and several more. They're just a few of the Redspire consultants who completed my Scrum for Microsoft Business Apps course. It's great to see the Redspire team learning Scrum, achieving their professional Scrum Master certification, and applying an agile approach to their customers' Dynamics 365 and Power Platform projects. Okay, here's my chat with Paul Heisterkamp. Paul, welcome to the Amazing Applications Podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Neil. It's a nice pleasure for me to be here. Well, Paul, you've, you've achieved an MVP award. You've recently been uh, recognized with the Fast Track Recognized Solution Architect Award. And we're going to get into those in a moment. I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. But first of all, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? 
I had some cereals, uh, so to go up to the uh, home office is not that good if, if you have a too big breakfast. So some cereals. Okay, so you're working from home at the moment? Yeah, completely. Okay, and what was your first job and how did you get that one? I started after school with an education of three years. So uh, there's an education program in Germany that uh, lasts three years. And there I learned to program in C-sharp. And yeah, that started right after school. So you were a programmer from a very early age? Yeah, yeah. So C-sharp mm -hmm. is not that native, but yeah. Tell us about your current role. Yeah, my current role is I'm a solution architect at the GWS in Germany. And I'm de designing and yeah, d driving projects with Dynamics Finance and Operations. That role I started in 2011. How have you found it working from home over the last period? Yeah, one and a half year, I think it is now. I feel quite comfortable with it. But this is uh, more because my wife is currently on parental leave. So she can handle the kids and I can uh, work from home. I'm about the same. I've been working from home for a year. I really miss working with people in the office. In fact, my old project team, we are allowed to meet for drinks under certain mm -hmm. yeah. restrictions here in Brisbane. So we met up for drinks last week and it was wonderful to see everybody again. Um, I think a lot of people in our profession are still working from home, adjusting to it. Slowly. Yeah, in our case, there is no end at the tunnel visible. Oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, we're very lucky here in Brisbane that we've had very few um, cases, but we've also got no vaccinations either. So we'll see what happens <laughs> yeah, okay. over the next year or so. Thank you very much for joining me on the show. What I wanted to do was to find out more about one of the successful projects you've worked on, building an amazing application. We don't have enough finance and operations people on the show, so really interested to find out more about your customer and about the project and about the application you built. So can you give us a quick introduction to the customer we're going to talk about today? Yeah, we are talking about a customer that works in the independent aftermarket. So these ones are selling spare parts for cars to workshops. This customer is located in Austria and Switzerland. Can you give us an idea of what kind of size they are in terms of number of staff, perhaps? Yeah, currently live, there are around about 1,200 um, users, and we are implemented them in two waves. But there is currently another wave happening where they're adding, again, I think four or 500 users to the application. Oh, okay. So it's a big deployment, big project. Yeah, it's quite big. I think... With F&O, we are always in this uh, size of implementations. Of course, there are smaller ones, but GDWS is most likely driving bigger implementation projects. What kind of challenges was particular customer facing that led them to adopt finance and operations? I think they had a quite old implementation. It was uh, working fine, of course, because it was uh, self-crafted, self-builded over years. But then they decided to jump on the digitalization train. And this is uh, because they decided to go with FNO. So they had built their own ERP system or were they using Dynamics AX and this is an upgrade? 
No, no, they were using completely self-developed ERP system, but that one they wanted to replace with AX or FNO. There's not many people developing their own ERP systems these days. Um, no, in these days, not a thing, uh, but I think in the older days, there were some companies that were doing this one, but then they all over the time um, realized that they cannot keep track with the uh, digitalization process and the speed Microsoft is able to drive. Just helped a customer replace a legacy application, a back office application that was about 30 years old. It was a commercial application, but it had been customized very extensively and had no support from the vendor for the last few years. It's good to see some of those systems being retired so that they can modernize their, their business processes and, and give their users new capabilities. Tell me about the type of team your customer had in place and how, how big is the GWS team working on this project as well? So the, the GWS um, has around about, I think, 400 employees and we worked on this uh, project, I think, at the beginning with a team of 20 or 30 people. And during go live, this increased because it is, was not during COVID. So there was on-site support and so on. But now because it is uh, live for some years already, we decreased the project team there to, to reschedule them. Okay. Yeah. That's actually quite a big project team. And on the customer side... Was there also the same number of people involved on their side as well? Yeah, I think at the end, even bigger because the whole um, company has to uh, adopt those new systems and new processes. But they had for each module, the key users and some part project lead, and they are driving or they were driving um, the parts of the project. Could you want to tell me about the approach that you've taken to the project? You mentioned before we started recording that you started out using Scrum. How has that gone? We started that project in the end of 2016. So this was the first wave. We normally have in such big projects a one and a half years implementation phase till go live. And in this phase, we did the analysis phase and the design phase. And then we have a kind of a backlog to split on different development iterations. We call them similar to Scrum sprints. And we are working with a sprint length of two or four weeks. But these sprints are only to schedule the work into pieces and not to develop the whole application like a waterfall model. So after each sprint, we are able to show some new functionalities. It sounds like you've adopted some of the parts of Scrum, some agile ways of working and yeah. made it your own. Yeah, we're also doing dailies every day in a 15 minutes uh, stand-up meeting. Of course, stand-up with Teams is a bit uh, problematic, but <laughs> yeah, it is a touch point for the development team and the functional team to synchronize the state of some testing or development efforts. What, what parts of Scrum do you think were hardest to adopt 
particularly thinking about ERP projects, I get asked quite a lot about how to adopt an agile approach by ERP practitioners. Why do you think it's such a challenge? It's a challenge because in ERP projects, you uh, always have uh, hard timelines. So you will have some milestones where the customer not willing to have some new feature, but this one is fixed. And right. so you have to schedule the work. And so the um, hardest part and the part we are not using is uh, the sprint planning. So the sprint planning is that everyone is able to do everything. So you just pick up tasks from a queue. And this one is not that planable. So we are scheduling the task in the background on feature level. So we are assigning work to developers to get a timeline and a roadmap to plan with uh, fixed delivery dates. Okay, because your skills are quite specialized and you've got some hard deadlines, then you find that it's better to schedule some of the work to the developers rather than the Scrum approach where the developers choose work from the backlog. Yeah. And you find that's working for you? That is also better from the um, resource planning perspective because you have dedicated resources. You see that this developer has enough work till May or and then you can uh, plan for additional work. And with this sprint planning, it is not that planable for the future, I think. So maybe adopting your approach there to doing some more planning around each wave and the resources are going to be required. Yeah. I'm really impressed to hear people taking an agile approach to ERP. You've said that the first wave was about 18 months of work hmm. and, and then there was a release to production at the end of that, which I think is quite typical. I don't see ERP projects even taking an agile approach. They're not going into production after two weeks or two months. There's normally a, a lot of legacy functionality that needs to be replicated or replaced in your new modern ERP system. And that can take a lot of time. And there's yeah, a lot yeah. of mission critical testing and data migration that needs to be done as well. Yeah, it's normally yeah, one to one and a half year, I think, from starting development to go live. But then after go live, of course, we're um, also doing this agile approach and then there will be releases every month or if you have more pressure every week yeah whatever the business uh, needs and since the release of wave one has the team been growing in size or is it now steady and maybe even tailing off uh, steady i think okay. so the second wave was then also one year and then so the first wave were around about 400 users and the second wave were adding 900. And this second wave, there was also a implementation phase of one year. And in this time period, the team was steady. And after the go live, the, then we uh, decreased the team. Thinking about how the project was split into waves, was that based on geographical region, on some kind of modular functionality or some other approach? It was regional driven and also size driven because we do not want to have the bigger part in the first wave. And so we decided to took the smaller part in the first wave to yeah, get a pilot to not directly go with the Big Bang. 
So reduce the risk of the project, yeah. take a smaller business unit first. If it works really well, then that proves that the technology is working and then you can tackle a more critical, bigger uh, regional business unit. Good. Thinking about the challenges that you've faced so far, what kind of roadblocks have you run into as a team? The the challenges in the first wave was because we started very early with the cloud version of AX, so now called Dynamics 365 for finance and operations. So it was a very early stage of the um, product line. And so there were quite some problems related to this early stage, let's say. But we had an um, awesome solution architect from um, Microsoft assigned. His name is Timo Gossen, and he had an uh, amazing knowledge and connection into the product group. And also his commitment to the pro uh, project was, was perfect. And so he worked closely with us to eliminate those roadblocks. Why did your customer choose to go with such an early version? Lots of customers I heard were not so keen to adopt the very first version of, of quite a, a groundbreaking technology from Microsoft. AX was never native to the cloud. This is almost a new generation of Dynamics AX. A lot of customers were a little bit reluctant to go and adopt it in those early days. Your customer made the decision to try it out. What led to that decision? I think uh, it was because they wanted to replace their legacy ERP and they wanted to use the cloud technology to get all the good things out there. And so they are, were not willing to uh, wait for one or two or th three years to harden the platform. So they right. decided to start early and the go live was in March 2018. And that was with version 7.1. So that is a very early stage. After that, there were 8.1. And then the current version is 10. What's the process been like working with them through those upgrades every six months to to update their uh, finance system? I think with such a big customer, it, it is always a huge effort to test those new releases. There's, of course, uh, there are tools uh, from Microsoft like RSET to automate those testing efforts. But with such complex processes, it is not that easy to automate uh, those things. And because of that, every um, release is a lot of manual testing. Customer engagement customers, they were, able to, they were able to schedule their upgrades when they were hosted on mm -hmm. Microsoft Cloud. Today, those updates come in on Microsoft's schedule. Typically, there's two waves a year. It's very similar for finance and operations. But the customers don't get to choose the timing of those. H how does that impact an ERP customer in terms of their busy periods during the year or their end of financial year? Have you had any issues there? No, because with F&O, uh, it is that Microsoft re releases, I think, eight releases a year. <laughs> and you need to install or you have to install at least two, I think. And if you are in a busy season or you're pending validation or something like that, and you're not uh, that far behind, you're able to pause those updates. 
and to schedule that as you need for not that busy times. But you have okay. to take up at least every third or every fourth. I don't know exactly because there has been changes. I think in the beginning there were th three or four a year you have to take. Now it is a bit lower. But if you have those busy times in some businesses like the Black Friday weeks or something like that, then you can uh, choose to not install updates there. Okay. I didn't know that there was still an element of control for finance and operations customers to choose their update timing. That's good news. I know one of your passions is application lifecycle management, and I'm not an expert at all with lifecycle services, but I have used Azure DevOps quite a bit in some of my projects and some other ALM tools as well. Can you give us your perspective on what the ALM story looks like for finance and operations with LCS, with GitHub, with Azure DevOps? Is LCS still the, the place to go? Do you think it's going to change? What are the investments that Microsoft's going to make in, in LCS to make application lifecycle management easier for finance and operations customers? It is that you have to use LCS to manage your environments and nothing more. LCS, I think, will uh, move someday to be present in PPAC. This is, but this is a future. But Azure DevOps is used in our projects to handle the whole planning and development efforts. So we are placing all features there, all user stories, and also the code is there checked into Azure DevOps repositories. And we are also using uh, continuous integration and uh, nightly builds there to always deploy the latest code to dev test environment and pre-prod environment. And this is at a state for FNO that you can um, automate almost everything. So you do not have to hassle with deployments every night and so on. Uh, if you have a proper setup in um, Azure DevOps, the um, Azure DevOps pipeline will handle that every night automatically for you. So the developer checks in those uh, changes and Azure DevOps will deploy it via LCS every night to development test and uh, pre-production systems. I didn't realize there was such mature integration already available between those two tools. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. I just wonder what's going to happen in the next you know, one to two years. I see Microsoft making so in GitHub, which still has a lot of gaps mm -hmm. that we enjoy using capability in Azure DevOps that just aren't in GitHub today. Microsoft's working hard to close those gaps. I don't know if both products are going to be around you know, five years from now. Really an interesting journey. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they are um, switching over the code components to GitHub and the scheduling and planning things uh, more to Azure DevOps, but let's see. So you mentioned way back, you mentioned that uh, starting with such an early version of the you know, 7.1 of the Cloud AX was one of the challenges that your customer faced. Were there any other major hurdles either within the customer organization or with, with the technology that you managed to overcome as well? I think it was a good managed project from the change management perspective at the customer side. So there were mm -hmm. not that um, many users that said, oh, the uh, old world was much better. It was more to pick up the new 
processes and the new UI and so on. And uh, every user after, or most of the users after some time of getting used to it, quite enjoyed it. That's nice to hear back from your users and others kind of success stories or business benefits as your customer experience as a result of this project. Anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I think, yeah, one point is that the new rollout, what's happening currently is that they can use their proven solution to onboard new subsidiaries there. So they have a system that it is working, that it is future-proofed and so on, and they can add new organizations there. Of course, it is always a project to get an, an organization that is currently using on-prem system to the cloud, but they do not uh, have to hassle that much with customizations and extensions because they have their proven solution there and they can simply implement it. You mentioned earlier, we were talking about Evergreen and having a single version, oh, that all ERP customers are running on a single version in the cloud, except depending on the timing of some updates for some customers. But the, but the major version is the same. So Microsoft's support costs, the ability to update all those customers is accelerated. But you're also using a similar approach for the updates and the customizations that you're applying to all of this customer's subsidiaries. Can you tell us about, more about that approach? Yeah, we are also trying to keep this one version approach uh, for the customization so that not every company or every region uh, has their own customizations or their own code base. They're using the same code base for all companies and instances. But if we, of course, have some differences there, then we, of course, can work with setup data or so on. But uh, the main customization version is the same, and that will reduce uh, support costs there as well. That must be difficult. If I'm the general manager of a business in Austria, and I've been doing it my way, or my business has been doing it its own way for 15 or 20 yeah. years, and now you want me to adopt this new system from headquarters in Germany, and they do it differently to how we do it in Austria. And then you get these struggles. So I imagine that's just as hard as the technology side of keeping one version up to date. Yeah, sure. And uh, of course, with new rollout, some smaller customization, but the bigger part is done by the uh, previous rollouts, I would say. And also the knowledge about the cloud technology and the whole ecosystem that has grown with the previous rollouts. And Paul, you mentioned the involvement of a solution architect from Microsoft. Which part of Microsoft was that from? Was that from FastTrack yeah. or Microsoft Consulting Services? And what kind of support has Microsoft provided during this project? So in the early stages of this project, there was Microsoft FastTrack, but there was not this uh, complete success by design framework. And we had an closely collaboration, cooperation um, with them. And there were touch points as they are currently present in the success by design framework. But it, it was more to also help us to get in touch with the right resources if we had problems during the load test or if we had problems with environment provisioning, then he connected us 
to the right persons. And yeah, this was the collaboration with Microsoft Fast Track there. Can you tell me a little bit more about the framework? Because I think it's something that Microsoft partners can now get trained in. Is that right? Yeah, so it is a framework for finding risks and problems in the project very early. And there are two kind of projects, I would say, the one that is leaded by Microsoft Fast Track and the one that are leaded by the implementation partner. And this uh, right. depends on the size. And Microsoft leads the project, then uh, they adapt or they bring in this success by design framework, but, but also you as an implementation partner can use uh, the framework and all the artifacts to also drive a project with a success by design framework. Okay, that sounds great. I'll have to find some resources, include those in the show notes mm -hmm. to help the audience uh, navigate that one. That's really good because you do not have to think that much um, about the content or the framework, for example, uh, data migration workshops because you get the templates and get an idea what points to cover. And there are a lot of workshop templates and also the whole project life cycle is put into stages there and touch points are um, assigned at some stages. So that is really good. Yeah, good. I'll have to check it out. Was this um, project one of the ones for which you were awarded or recognized as a fast track solution architect? Yeah, I think it was because the uh, second go live was at the 1st of January 2020. And I got the award the first time in 2020 and now got uh, the second one this year. That's something I just discovered recently is that the fast track recognition just lasts for one year. There is a reassessment every year to check if you're still aligned with all those goals and so on. And then you will get this one for another year. So how did the reassessment compare to the first assessment in the first place? It's got some interviews and yeah, yeah. you know checking in the portfolio of your work and everything. Is it the same process the second time? Um, from my perspective, not that detailed, but they check all the assigned projects from the background. And uh, they also check with the assigned solution architects if everything is in line. And yeah, this is more the background okay. check than the in-person interviews. Good stuff. I'm really impressed with the Fast Track Recognized Solution Architect program. I think it's a great recognition of the people yeah. who are doing really good work on those bigger projects, working with bigger partners. Uh, the number of certifications that are available these days there's a lot of pressure on everybody to go and keep their certifications up to yeah. date. And the certifications don't show that you have really any experience, yeah. whereas the fast track uh, recognition demonstrates that very effectively. It's not very easy to scale that program. I think there'll only ever be, you know, 20 or 30 architects recognized each year through the fast track uh, program. But that's that's a good thing, I think. Yeah, it's a small group. Even for Evano, it is um, even smaller than for customer engagement apps or the power platform. So we're a yeah. um, small group, I think of 16 or something like that. 
Congratulations, that's awesome. Thank you. And you're also a Microsoft MVP award winner at around the same time in 2020, yeah. is that right? Yeah, 2020 was a uh, yeah. quite good year for me, except from COVID, of course. <laughs> but there I also got this MVP award for my uh, contribution work, most likely on ALM topics, some speaking events and a lot of blogging. Well, make sure you include all your social media links and link to your WordPress blog. Well, what are your, what kind of topics are you working on these days? Are there any more virtual conferences, projects you're working on in the background that you can tell us about? Yeah, I'm currently working on a feature that, that is currently in private, and not private, public preview. It is called Inventory Visibility Add-in. And this is an approach to scale out some requests from the ERP database to the Dataverse so that if a web shop or another third-party um, application needs um, inventory or on-hand information, they can request that one from Dataverse and not directly from the ERP database. And this is to get the pressure down there on the ERP database. It's fascinating to see the, the new wave of integration between finance and operations and Dataverse yeah. and how the Dynamics team is making use of the, the Dataverse platform. I can't wait to see more innovation coming out of that team in the next year or two. Yeah, that's extremely cool. And also for the um, scale-out or carve-out perspective, if you have simply too much load on your ERP database or ERP environment, that you have the ability to scale that one over to Dataverse is uh, perfect. Paul, thank you so much for joining us on the amazing applications. I've been fascinated by this story of what I consider to be a pretty large-scale finance and operations deployment, certainly from the very early days of its cloud availability and some of the success you've had with it and the recognition that it's brought you as well. So congratulations on all of that. Thanks so much for joining thank us. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for having me. That was Paul Heisterkamp from GWS in Germany. Thanks, Paul, for sharing your Dynamics 365 finance and operations story on the Amazing Apps Show. We really appreciate you and appreciate the time you've taken to share your story with us. Just as we were recording this episode, James Phillips announced the publication of the Success by Design Implementation Guide. It's a detailed document, 700 pages, of best practices for deploying Dynamics 365 based on the experience and expertise of the Microsoft FastTrack engineers, working alongside partners like GWS and their enterprise customers. There are also several Success by Design resources available on the Microsoft Learn website. It starts with a one-hour overview and then two learning paths, one for customer engagement and another for finance and operations. They cover topics such as creating blueprints, data models, integration plans, user experience strategies, application lifecycle management strategies, and lots more. Search for on Microsoft Docs for success by design. I've also included links in the show notes, which you'll find at customary.com slash 033. If you're enjoying the amazing applications interviews, don't forget to follow the podcast's page on LinkedIn. Search for amazing applications, follow the page, comment on an episode and share an episode post with your thoughts on your timeline. Thanks to everyone who's already taken a moment to share the show with a colleague or customer. Amazing applications are spreading. Until next time, keep sprinting. <laughs>